If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And today on the show, I had the pleasure of chatting with Heather Hartman. Heather is the co-founder and CEO of Human Ventures, an early-stage venture studio that backs and builds consumer technology companies. She was named one of the 50 most influential women in America by Marie Claire. The information has referred to her as the new breed of VC, and Business Insider has pointed to Human as the first female-led startup studio. Prior to Human Ventures, Heather incubated companies with City Light Capital, a venture capital fund that invests in companies seeking to generate measurable social and environmental impact. She serves on the leadership council for Tech NYC and is a mentor to the NYC MIT Startup Studio and 1776. She's also a contributor to Forbes and serves as the board of directors member of the David Lynch Foundation. Heather joins us to talk about the qualities that make a great entrepreneur, how from an early age, transcendental meditation has impacted her life, and how she and the team at Human Ventures foresee the future of work. So please enjoy my conversation with Heather Hartnett. And Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure. How's it going out there? It's going well. I'm downtown New York City right now. I live in Greenwich Village and New York's coming back to life. It's been really kind of interesting to see how resilient everyone is. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. You know, your work has focused on the future of work for a long time, which you've empowered through the organizations that you've been a part of, most notably Human Ventures. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing right now. Yeah, so I I run um, what we call a business creation platform, and that is comprised of venture fund and a startup studio. And we bring in entrepreneurs. We work with entrepreneurs at the earliest stages of when they're building their companies and we provide tools to be able to create, and then we provide financing to be able to, to capitalize. And that structure is one of the best, 
I mean, it's, it's, I'm so grateful to be able to be doing it because what you get to do is think where the world is going to be, not tomorrow or in two weeks, but in 10 years. And then you start working with founders who think that far in advance and, um, and you give them the resources to be able to just build. And so being around people who always see challenges, opportunity, who always see the world you know, 10 steps ahead, I think is, is one of the most inspiring things to do. Tell us more about that. So how do you pick the people that are in your cohorts? Who, who gets your investment? Who gets your incubation time? Yeah, it's a good question. We, you know, I think a big thesis of human ventures is that one of the biggest arbitrage opportunities is really identifying talent ahead of the market. And I say that because for years and years, uh, finance industries and, and venture capital in particular has been really focused on a particular type of entrepreneur. And it was true 10, 15 years ago that an entrepreneur had a an archetype. But as you know, industries start to open up to tech and tech becomes ubiquitous, right? Every company has to have kind of that ease of use and customer satisfaction and understanding the efficiencies that technology brings, the founder profile changes. And then at the same time, the arcs of, you know, the way that society views companies and social paradigms, you know, paradigms have shifted. So the consumer is very conscious about what they're consuming and buying and um, and then the employee wants to know who they're working for and almost their personal passion and mission is being satisfied for what they're working in. So I think it's become extremely complex to be a founder and the way to be able to identify them is now becoming more sophisticated. So at Human, we will generally have theses that are on, uh, about the world, where the world's going. We, we call it the human needs economy. So that for us right now is the future of digital healthcare and wellness and mental health, and then the future of work and how we are identifying and, and scaling and reskilling talent. And then uh, also community. So what companies are understanding community-based healthcare, community-based products that, that drive more than just uh, a transaction, but that drive you know, that camaraderie and really affinity with a brand. So that's what we've coined the kind of the human needs economy. That's what we look for. And then we do calls for founders who is building in these areas, who are building the next platforms to be able to bring healthcare to um, underserved communities, et cetera, et cetera. And we do um, what we call uh, a cohort model of entrepreneurs and residents. And you'll like this, Jeff. So internally, we used to say this person is starting their next company. They're in the wild. They're in the wild. And so we just figured, why don't we actually name it that? So we have a program called Humans in the Wild. It's when, you know, when a founder, and if you're a founder, you, you resonate with this because, and you are, Jeff, I'm sure it resonates with you. You know, you're sitting there and you're saying, I, I need to, I need to think of the next thing. I need to think of the next thing because naturally, if you're a founder, once a founder, always a founder, you, you will always think about building. So when you get a group of people who are building together, it creates, you know, one plus one equals 10, it creates incredible energy. Totally. You get this ecosystem effect. You get this like, you know, our liberation is bound up together, you know, shared experience, camaraderie, same team, you know, same dream kind of vibe where everybody's sharing resources, which when you go from like being a lonely entrepreneur to having any sort of reason for this kind of overlap with other entrepreneurs, it feels like in, in, in an unbelievable win behind you. Yeah, I really, you know, there's the old saying, rising tide lifts all boats. It's so true. And I think the dynamics of having a shared experience creates a trust and bond that then as people have success and failures, you just, you have this 
really, you know, trusted network and it, and it takes the burden off of being alone. When well, I also kind of like this ecosystems approach as like an investor too, because, you know, not all companies work out, but you're making a big investment, almost like helping fund a PhD for these founders in like business experience. Right. And so if you can either, you know, invest in their second or third company or repatriate those, you know, talent and resource, you know, pools to the other organizations that are inside of, you know, the ecosystem, I imagine that has a really positive return too, for the fun. And, and I guess that, you know, takes me to my question, like, you know, putting my, you know, heartless capitalist pig hat on, you know, how does this pencil like this, you know, a lot of people who are investment professionals see impact investments in, you know, air quotes and roll their eyes, like, tell us how this works from a return profile. Yeah. I mean, you hit on a lot of great things. I think you're right. You're absolutely right. The ecosystem is what you invest in, in early stage. You know, if we do this right, we'll invest in the next three things a founder does that we love because two likely won't work out, you know, but those founders have, have had those learnings. So why not? You paid for them, you know, invest again to the impact question. We specifically didn't call it an impact company when we first started, because I think that it's become just the status quo. You need to have some sort of a mission or a purpose driving what you're doing. If you're building something from scratch that you know, the, the trials and tribulations are too, too um, great to not have something that drives you through those times. And when you have a very coherent underlying set of values or mission, you're able to attract unbelievable talent. You're able to rally, you know, investors and clients and customers behind something that otherwise people might not feel such an affinity towards. So for me, I think it's a long-term investment play. It's less of a liability and it it makes the companies much more defensible as they grow. So from a purely capitalistic standpoint, if you're not thinking about anything altruistically, I think that it's, um, it's just smart investing to be able to invest where you think the, you know, skate where the puck is going. I like it. You hit me with a Gretzky reference. Good Lord. <laughs> you must be a deadly fundraiser. Um, well, Heather, I have a, I have a total, you know, turn in the conversation that I want to take. I'm curious, just you personally, when did you start meditating? Oh, good question. I started meditating when I was five years old. Five years old. Okay. So unpack that. How is that possible? I, def- I definitely can't take credit for that. That's uh, my parents. So you were like, mom and dad, I'm super <laughs> into this stuff. This is a guy named Maharishi <laughs> yeah. getting the game. No, independently, my parents both started meditating in their teens, uh, started practicing something called transcendental meditation. And in the seventies, it was, you know, uh, really popular. And, you know, there was kind of a spike of popularity. A couple of people actually wanted their kids to be able to grow up with transcendental meditation. So I would say that we were a part of a intentional community and, and uh, in a way that our parents were just very progressive. They wanted the best. And where was this? Where was this geographically? In Iowa. So I was originally from Chicago, but they moved us to Iowa when we were young, where there were other folks who, who wanted kind of organic farming and meditation in the school systems. And, you know, a lot of things that have come to fruition now, but were, were not popular in the eighties. <laughs> so it was, it was, um, in hindsight, right. I can't believe that my parents had that foresight, but I'm very grateful to have that early on. And it's definitely shaped the way that I, I look at life, you know, from, from the very beginning. 
Well, and you know, I know that before you moved into investing, you were um, head of development at the David Lynch Foundation, correct? Yeah. So my, you know, after school, I studied business in school, and I did go out to the Bay Area. I started working in venture serendipitously. My father was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. And so I didn't know what business I wanted to start. And so venture was something I kind of fell into where we had a family friend and he said, well, I see entrepreneurs every day. Why don't you come and analyze them and you know see what could be good investments? And that was when I first got bit with the bug. But simultaneously, I was out in the Bay Area. Uh, the film director, David Lynch, was starting uh, an organization. And he was saying, I would like to be able to bring meditation to at-risk youth in inner city schools. And so I started volunteering for what was becoming the foundation and got to know David Lynch and Bob Roth, who's the executive director. And eventually, you know, really fell in love with the organization. And many years later, ended up moving to New York and opening up the New York office with Bob and started building out the, the nonprofit arm of the David Lynch Foundation. What what overlaps do you see between this work? You know, I, I, mindfulness is so important, and you know, I I definitely feel like my performance as an entrepreneur is an internal game. You know, like the the work that we do internally is the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on our outcomes, not necessarily a podcast we hear or a talk we listen to. You know, what is the thing that you kind of see? What's the pattern recognition that you apply from your your previous work to your current work? I think any type of meditation practice, you know, whatever works for you, you should integrate some sort of some sort of that reflection. For me, TM has brought a sort of witnessing value or equanimity to what I do. So I can ride the highs and the lows with a with a certain amount of witnessing. So you're not tossed about, you know, as as life can really do for you. Now, I'm not saying that I approach everything perfectly. But I can definitely tell a difference when I'm when I'm regular with my practice or when I'm not. Uh, how things affect me, I think in investing that's a huge, huge um, you know part of it. It's just can you? We just had an incredible volatility in the market. Can you withstand what you're doing? Can you zig when everybody else is zagging? Can you really understand your internal conviction? Because you can't you can't uh, look to anybody else to give you to give you that conviction. I think a lot of those things are kind of the, the abstract benefits of TM. Some of the more practical things are just, you know, at a time when mental health is so, so, so important. Burnout is real. I live in New York City. It's like there's never a time to stop. So unless you have an intentional practice to be able to stop, there's just no way that you can control that. So I think for all those reasons, I'm grateful for it. I, I can always be more judicious with my practice. I can always, there's always more that you can do, but you just kind of have to be easy with yourself and do what you can. Well, it's funny, you know, what comes up for me when I hear you saying that is like, we're kind of in this entrepreneurial moment of like good artists borrow, great artists steal. And, you know, the copycat culture of, you know, Hollywood right now, where it's like, whatever, Spider-Man 18, um, you know, like the fifth installment of the same movie with new actors and actresses, right? This it's similar, like, you know, the copycat business of like entrepreneurship. And I think what gets lost is, you know, when you really look at a lot of these companies that have like an original creative vision, years later, they often don't really stray from that creative vision. 
I don't even remember the headspace when we were, you know, building our brand identity for Summit, for instance, and like really caring about, you know, the guidelines and the, and the, you know, we built like an 86 page brand doc. Like we worked with incredible people on our icon and our iconography and like, you know, like our language and all these things. And like, it's such a headspace to get into. And to your point, if you don't have like self-belief in the point of view, it's very easy to tack to whatever is working right now and just always be chasing whatever is working right now. So I can see what you're saying where it's like, if you want to identify, you know, a, a visionary entrepreneur, say somebody that makes sense to resource and to bet on and to support, you know, and, and helping sort of maintain that self-belief and the vision that you started with. You know, I do think that the results actually speak to, I just always keep seeing this now. I'm like, huh, that company sold or it started 10 years ago or it's under new owner, whatever it is. But that sort of original vision always seems to stick with these things. I think it's a great point. And we have a saying internally, it's the myth of the big idea. Everybody always says, oh, where did you come up? Where does the founder come up with that idea? And the thing is, is that it's not, it's not the idea. Ideas are everywhere. And everybody can kind of pull it from the, the consciousness of the moment. But and then execution's the big part of it, except for also it's just constantly being awake to where the trend is going. So seeing a space or we say see through the matrix, like you were talking about, that's steadfast. You don't know the exact timing, but that's where you can really have that intuition that bounces back and forth. And I think the best founders naturally do tap into this. You know, sometimes people say you have to be a little bit you know, an outlier or kind of crazy. And, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just somebody who's has that conviction internally. And I, I love it. You can feel you resonate with founders who really have that. You know, to your point, the technology is kind of outpacing the human condition, right? So we are strapped to 24-7. We hear this all the time. We're always looking to technology. But who's taking care of the human side of it? And um, if you're not, you know, I, I joke that I'm one of the first to do appless meditations, you know, because now everybody thinks that meditation comes through an app. Yeah, it's, 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 you're a hundred percent right. And that like, we're, you know, overstimulated and underrested. And now we're, you know, seeing some of these first technologies come online that really lower the barrier for us to like get involved in something. So I wouldn't say that like, it's, it's pretty barriered for most people in their minds to like, say, get into transcendental meditation, unless they're exposed to it directly from someone that demystifies it. Whereas like you can just download calm or you can download waking up and you're like right in the game, you know? Yeah. And each meditation, it's like kind of saying that there's one medication, right? It's, it's not, there's so much nuance to meditation. And sometimes some types are right for, for pain management. I mean, they know so much more about the brain functioning now too. And so, you know, do you have an overactive amygdala, you know, TM is classified as automated self-transcending. And so it allows you to just acquire a part of your mind. But in the, the result of that is that your body settles down. So you're just getting mm -hmm. deep rest. So if we got enough deep rest, you know, it's, that's just really what your body needs. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people. 
in an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to us about the future of work because we've talked around it a little bit, but I want to unpack that further because I think that's something on everyone's mind. Yeah, definitely. The the future of work to us, we have four categories that we're most excited about. And we say that, you know, unsurprisingly, that the future of work is human. So the areas that we are really excited about, one, new work environments, self-explanatory. We have, you know, we're not going back to the same way it was. And the, the next one I'm excited about, we call lifelong learning. The education system is going to be changing. Online education can be just as sufficient. Um, you know, I think people are going to think about certificate programs a lot more than a four-year college education, if that gets them the job. Revenue share, you know, ISAs are becoming, income share agreements are becoming something that's more popular. So all those structures, lifelong learning. What is that? What What is an income share agreement? Income share agreement is just basically that, uh, you know, can you have a discount on an education platform certification course and then in exchange for sharing your future you know, a future portion of your income. And I think people have tried this for a, a different various ways. And now there are a couple of companies like Lambda. Uh, there's one called Job Easy that's coming up. People are identifying, you know, ways that you can ensure an increase in your income coming out of a certification program. And for that, you're willing to rev share essentially your future income. I think it's really interesting. You're betting, you're betting on people, you know, you're picking stock on in people. And, and that's kind of been a thesis of mine for a long time. 
The third bucket I love is we call redefining the resume. So for so long, the resume, LinkedIn, where you've worked is kind of what defines you. And I think that's definitely going to change. The career ladder, so to speak, is now looks like a lattice. And at what point are you mapping your skills to a whole new career? People change a career now three, four or five times in their lifetime, as opposed to our, our previous generation. The last one is worker well-being. So how is your company organization, you know, if you're a leader, how, how is your mission satisfying? You know, what is it, what role does it play in your, in your employee's life? Because there's a lot to it now. So those are the areas that we're really excited about. We have 18 founders right now uh, in the Humans in the Wild program who are tackling various uh, challenges around those four, four big buckets. Well, let's talk about access in terms of like, you know, who is getting these investments. I don't, you know, I might be setting you up for, you know, something that's embarrassing. So I hope, but I just knowing you personally, I imagine that you're very thoughtful about investing in uh, diverse and, you know, gender diverse and economically diverse international entrepreneurs. But talk to us about, you know, how human is democratizing that access to founders. Yeah. It goes back to the same philosophy that we were talking about, that it's not even, I mean, it's the right, it's the right thing to do. There should definitely be equality and we're so far from, from equity and equality, but this is also where there is so much opportunity because when you're investing in underrepresented founders or underfunded areas, that's where you can have the most leverage with your capital. So I absolutely think that it's a, an incredible business decision to diversify your talent pools. Where are you picking founders from? What attributes are you looking for? Uh, it shouldn't be that they all went to X, Y, and Z college, and that's you know social proof that they're going to be a good entrepreneur. It's just not. That's not. There's no correlation there. So you really have to do the work to say what are the founder traits that we're really looking for, and are there communities and are there areas or network nodes that we can tap into to identify founders who are in those different types of areas. That's a great, we'll talk more about that. So what is the example of a network node that you tap into? Well, we, we talked about philanthropy earlier on. And one of our personas that we talk about internally is kind of the PhD in life. Did you start a, a nonprofit organization? You know, did it, you know, a lot of women actually who are phenomenal operators, sometimes it's easier to start a nonprofit than it is to start a for-profit in society's view. So, you know, we invested in a phenomenal woman uh, Megan O'Connor, who was in the nonprofit space for a long time, she decided I know to. Megan. Megan's you know Megan? She's a part of Summit. She applied her talents to the education sector, and we invested in her company that was bringing technology to tutoring and education. And that persona of a founder might not have been a typical tech investment prior, but because we said, "Look, you know how to do a lot with a little. You know how to sell your." vision and investors and all this sort of stuff. She, she knew how to sell and she, and those were the, those were the skills needed for her company. So if you can be really thoughtful about how you're mapping skills, then you can find talented founders in a lot of different places. You know about network nodes more than anybody with the summit community. It's, it's who are those curators of people, good people who embody the values that you value. And can you then have them kind of recruit, recruit and curate founders to be able to come and, and build with you. So that's what we do when we do our, our application process. So we'll see three, four or 500 founders who are applying for these 12 spots. And, um, 
and then we pick the people who we think are going to be phenomenal. And we're very, you know, careful about the construction of the class. Is there diversity of thought, background, ethnicity? You absolutely don't want homogenous thinking when you're building a company. So imagining that like, you know, there's listeners who are, you know, they either, I think that there are more great ideas out there uh, than we realize, you know, like I, I, I've heard, I've heard so many awesome ideas. We all have, you know, different ideas as entrepreneurs for things that we could pursue if only we had the time or bandwidth. And, you know, it's often just like building the consortium of people, but you know, like, I'm just curious. So like, you know, I have an idea that I have some conviction around, you know, I haven't started a company, perhaps I'm in, you know, I have a corporate job or, you know, I, I run a nonprofit or I'm in a nonprofit, but like, I have an idea for something that could be a market-based solution that, you know, could scale, grow, support myself and my family and have a positive world impact. So take us through some of the steps. If you found me, I'm raw talent. I got all the building blocks, but I'm, you know, I'm clueless in terms of like what to do next with this. There are so many resources out there now for people who are thinking about being a founder. Find some founders that resonate with you and see how how they think. And then and then there are programs of just being with other people who are like-minded like that. There's one called Day One. There's one called On Deck. You know, they're, they're um, communities so that people can bounce these ideas off of each other. But then more importantly, can you start iter- testing and iterating on that idea to see if it comes to something, you know, taking something from nothing. And then there are incubator programs. There are, you know, there's just so much out there that you can start testing your idea and and putting it towards. But I, I see the world in terms of people. So I just say, throw your idea against the wall and throw it against as many people as you possibly can to get all of the feedback and, and then just start to watch it build. And then once you get that traction, you know, then people will find you. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School Podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I just said that like there's more great ideas out there than there are like people activating on them. But at the same time, your idea probably isn't that great. Like it's good and it's in the right direction. But once you start moving on it, you realize that there's like a ton of hair on it, right? Like there's just all these things you haven't considered, all these complexities that you haven't put together. And then like no matter what the business is or the nonprofit or the artistic project, it's always just like longer than you assume at first. You know, we always underestimate what we can do in three years and overestimate what we can do in one. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I I definitely think that, you know, like for us with our summit journey, we were always really open with our dumb ideas. In fact, we celebrated them. And then, you know, someone would catch us, you know, about that, talking about it and then give their interpretation or what could work even better. And so I think that additive process of like, you know, getting to get into a cycle with other people that think entrepreneurially is really, really helpful. And like, the truth is, is that, you know, most people are risk adverse, you know, and like most people that are successful pay someone else to help them with their investments to be risk adverse for them. Right. So it's, you know, it makes me happy to hear you talking about, you know, the type of psychographic that you're looking for and the entrepreneurs that you support and back. Well, it's a good point for you. I mean, I would turn the question over to you too. You have seen more founders than, than any, anybody really, you know, you've created and assembled such an incredible group of founders and that was the genesis of summit. Do you see some attributes that you didn't maybe, you maybe didn't even know at that point that that's what everybody embodied because it's kind of hard to tell that the bathwater is warm, you know, if you're in it, how do you think about that? Can you identify that energy now better because you were around it so much? I would say it's just so different. You said risk tolerance. I was such a cowboy. And so I also am, you know, hesitant about, you know, recommending high, high risk tolerance. I almost see it more like being comfortable with being naive. You know, like one, you have to be naive enough to like go into the business. And then when you, you know, talk to people, both your potential customers, your potential advisors, to find the questions that you need the answers to, you don't know what to ask, right? Like you've just never been down the path. You know, there's like people who've been in the game for 30 years. Like you just haven't seen shit. There's just no way you could. So, you know, that, that beginner's mind, that willingness to share what you need. Like if you said like, Hey Jeff, uh, great to talk to you. Everything's awesome. It's like, okay, well, what is there for me to do in this relationship? Like, if you're not willing to say like, Hey, I don't know how to solve this thing. And then I'll be like, Oh man, I can't wait to like be actually useful and beneficial and, you know, keep it, you know, sort of this triangulation of goodwill, this favor economy moving forward in an ecosystem. I love that. I think that founder economy, that's a great way of putting it. We, 
we try to invest in a portfolio of givers because if you have this reciprocity amongst that group of people, it's only net positive. So we, I mean, you're absolutely right that there are always going to be individualistic people who win. But I think in the long term, if you're investing in people who know how to get back to that community, it's just a longer term view. Well, and it's more fun and it's easier and like you don't have to do all the work yourself. <laughs> and I wonder if it's different times in people's lives too. Like you're more individualistic when you're earlier or maybe not because you need more support. And then as you, as you get older, you know, you understand that it's a long life. Well, I love the the term, the infinite game, you know, like infinite games, they never end. There's not like a beginning and an end, a winner and a loser. And, you know, I think if you take the sport metaphor, like you're mentioning, you know, at first you want to hit the game winning shot, be the star player. And then you're like, man, that's really not scalable. Like you can build stone buildings, not skyscrapers where you're the key man or woman because like your time isn't scalable. So then you have to learn a whole other skill set, which is like managing strategy, scaling a business, you know, like, and then I, I don't know, you realize that like, there's just always a factor above the sport or the game that you think that you're in. So I've just, I, that's my favorite part of the entrepreneurial journey is just like, you know, kind of like interdiscipline, you know, multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional chess in a sense, you know, it's like just, just the most fun, most sort of intellectually challenging game. And like, there's no physical limitation if you're, if you're lucky, you know, like certainly, you know, like there's, there's, if you, you know, if you, if you don't have any sort of like mental issues, like you, you don't, you know, we all cap out, you know, pro athletes are really pro athletes. Like they are, you know, top 0.1% physical human specimens to begin with, let alone the mental game, you know? So, so, you know, for us, for all of us, you know, human, uh, humans out here, you know, this is the other thing I'll say, Heather, is that like, there's plenty of like, not that brilliant people that are way more successful than us. Like it's not, there's not a direct correlation with having to be like a genius or having to be like the most likable person in the room. There are plenty of very normal people that have had a good idea and absolutely crushed the game. I agree. I mean, I think that if I had to say one quality that I, that I think is, is just massive, it's insatiable desire to grow. It's just constant growth and growth does not it's not always comfortable, right? But I, and I think we, and I see this, the company can only grow as fast as the human. So you asked me a little bit about meditation too. It's like, if you're always on a journey of self-actualization, you're, you're constantly going to be asking and curious, asking those questions. I mean, every investor talks about it in a different way. Curious, you know, rapid iterator, you know, growth, whatever it is, but it's really this quality that you don't know anything in this moment, <laughs> you know, less than you did 10 minutes ago and still asking that question all the time. Yeah, totally. And for you, what, what are you, what are you seeking at this point? Like, what are the things that you hope to bring more of into your life? We touched on a, a bunch of it. I think my personal, my personal why is really uh, picking stock in people. It's, it's, how can you give resources to people who you think are best suited to be the catalyst to bring this into fruition? There's nothing more satisfying than backing somebody when nobody else sees it yet. And, you know, you don't know if you're really good at this for, for multiple decades. So I could be kidding myself here, but I've more than once felt that gratification of understanding somebody's value before the society proves it out or the social proof for it and giving them, the resources to be able to build on it. And then, you know, that, that's so satisfying. And 
And I love it. And so if there's any way that I can play a small part in being a, a boost for, for that, you know, genesis of an idea coming to fruition, being a company, that's, that's why this is the commercial aspect of how I can do that, you know, as mm-hmm. a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And I also love to see, you know, what new things entrepreneurs are tackling. When I started investing, when I started in, in, in venture, impact investing wasn't even a thing. Then I was in impact investing and now you've even leapfrogged that where it's just, you have to be really conscious to be a founder. Mm-hmm. And, and on paper, what are some of like the most successful investments that you guys have made so far? Like what are some of the standout companies? It's a good question. We have, um, we've known the founders of the skim for a long time and invested in their company. We've uh, known Catherine Minshew from the muse. She's also mm. part of their summit community. We seeded very early stages of a company called current, which is a smart banking platform. That's grown phenomenally. Well, a lot of our companies are still early, so they're not household names yet, but they're getting there. Tiny Organics, which is a, a baby brand focusing mm-hmm. on organic tiny. baby food. They're great. Oh, one I'm very excited about is called Paloma Health, and they're a digital health platform for testing and diagnosing thyroid challenges. You know, they've created an incredible community-based healthcare plan for an increasingly diagnosed disease, and it's it affects you know, disproportionately affects women. So it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and um, they're growing rapidly. So those are the types of investments that we make and founders that we back. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, well, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the program and, you know, I really have always been inspired by not just the work that you do and the creativity that you bring to it, but you're just awesome. Every time that you're ever in a room where, you know, people always feel better, feel brighter, you're a true peaceful warrior. It's pretty incredible. I've never seen you seem like your heartbeat is up whatsoever. And yet like you've been constantly increasing speed while decreasing tension since we've become friends. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a really remarkable thing to see. And I just, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, Heather. That's incredibly kind and generous of you to say, I will reiterate that, you know, I've said this before, but the community that you've built really, I attribute anything in my career, you know, the last 15 years to the summit community. I mean, the, the people that you curate are amazing and the intentionality that you had when you started summit really just seeped through everything that you do and every iteration of what you do. So I'm honored to be a part of the community and talking to you today. Well, honestly, I think like your parents in Iowa on the organic farming and mindfulness tip, I don't think summit really was the you know author of that ethos. I think it's more of a generational ethos, you know, of like our generation's entrepreneurs that wanted those priorities. Listen, if it was, you know, 1988, I'm sure I would have been, you know, on some Bud Fox shit, right? Like I'd be trying to, (laughs) you know, pursue a whole other, you know, lifestyle. Like we wouldn't have the same inputs. We wouldn't, you know, have seen sort of like the excesses that bring, you no happiness, right? Like, so, so ultimately I think that we got really lucky that we had great mentors early on. And, and, uh, you know, I think that like you're talking about, uh, you know, skating to where the puck's going. It sounds like you, you grew up, uh, at the iceberg that ended up, you know, like, you know, be, be becoming the rivers, right? Like it's, it's incredible that, um, you've had this exposure to these things that are so important to so many people that we care about, um, you know, for so long. And, you know, I really do hope you, you know, incredible success with human and anything else you do. Thank you very much, Jeff. Appreciate it.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.